This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Science Weekly is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash scienceweekly today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scienceweekly. Last Friday, as volcanologist Helga Torvadotir was working in her office in the Icelandic capital Reykjavik, she started hearing something strange. It's a bit it's a bit of a creepy sound and also fascinating. In the afternoon, things got really shaky. The rumble was just the latest in a series of more than 20,000 earthquakes that have hit the southwest of the country since late October. I have my cabinet here up in my living room with like wine glasses and I put the glasses very close to each other so I could have like a bit of a seismic meter in my home and they start to jingle a little bit. So I was like, okay, this is either getting closer to us or more severe. The same day, 4,000 residents of the small fishing town of Grindavik were evacuated from their homes. Huge cracks and sinkholes have now appeared in roads and sulphur dioxide has been detected in the air. For now, the country is waiting and preparing A devastating eruption could come any day. Perhaps by the time you're listening to this, it's already hit. But volcanologists are also predicting this could be the start of a centuries-long volcanic era. So today we're asking, what's going on beneath the ground in Iceland? And 
How do scientists predict when and where a volcano is going to blow? From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. Helga Torvatortir, you're a volcanologist in Iceland, and we're chatting on Wednesday. And actually, there have been some more signs today that an eruption could be imminent. But of course, you've been following this develop over the past week. So what's been happening? So if we just start from the beginning, the big picture, we have two tectonic plates that are opening up here or or splitting. We have the North American plate and then the Eurasian plate. And those are two continental crusts that are uh, separating. And we have a landmass here, the basically Iceland. And this uh, boundary, tectonic boundary, is stretching up on land, which is very unique. So we're basically opening up the crust here. And uh, it roughly opens up one centimeter in each direction every year. But it's not gradual. It's like happening in steps, of course. So when we're opening up the crust, something has to fill in. And you want to guess what that could be? (laughs) Well, I'm going to guess it's magma. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So we, of course, want that magma fills in the crust because it's fixing it from within. However, sometimes it's forced up to the surface and then we get an eruption. Residents and visitors in Grindavik have seen hundreds of tremors. The violent rumbling, cracking roads, buildings and infrastructure. So on Friday, we we got a big shift in this tectonic movement, uh, which resulted in this dike forming, which is like a lateral, like upright wall of magma, which is we see we're not we're not expecting a certain volcano to erupt. We're looking at the ground opening and then we're seeing lava coming up of that. If you look, think in 3D, a wall that goes down several kilometers and it's several kilometers in length, but maybe just one or two meters wide. But it's still, you know, it's shallow and it could come up at any moment, really. So most of the time when we imagine a volcano, we're thinking of a kind of, you know, cone-shaped mountain with something spewing out the top. But this really isn't a volcano or an eruption in a traditional sense. No, that's what is probably very difficult for like uh, people that don't know of Icelandic geology to to really understand it because we, our day of eruptions are always like this, yeah, like you said, cone-shaped mountain and then like the emoji in your, in your phone basically. <laughs> but but here we have uh, we have to start somewhere to form this volcano, and this is like uh, how it starts basically. We just rip up the ground, we get an eruption there, left with a crater. And then maybe over a period of hundreds of thousands of years, this happens on and on and off until we basically have formed this emoji volcano. (laughs) And what could happen if the magma does reach the surface? What could some of the consequences be? So, of course, it could just open up anywhere on this 15-kilometer dike. It just depends on where in the crust the magma has the easiest access up through this. 
But the main threat after that is just lava flows, like ruining things. Like in Hawaii, for example, we're not going to get like the AIFAT Layer 2010 event where we have ash everywhere. We could potentially have an eruption out in on the seafloor, but uh, I find it unlikely at this point. But in that case, we will get some ash production. Of course, one of the worst scenarios is a direct impact of uh, the town Grindavik. Now, fears continue to mount of a possible volcanic eruption in Iceland. There was an immediate evacuation issued on Tuesday after sulfur dioxide was detected, sparking fears of a nearby opening in the ground. So where are we now? What are, what are scientists and the people monitoring the situation thinking at the moment? Are you thinking there could be an eruption soon or are we kind of over the hump of that? Yeah, the- the time frame is very, we're very unsure of that. But if something were to happen, I think we will have to give it maybe two weeks tops or something like that. We're not in the clear, basically. We, we could still get an eruption at any moment. The question is, does it need to maybe gather more volume or is this magma just going to solidify in the crust and do what it should do? So um, we have to think in in one week or two week period of time, like one day at a time. The people of Grindavik have been returning to their homes for a very short period of time to gather some personal belongings. I know one person that I've been in contact with and uh, she uh, and her family, they're renting an apartment from some relatives now and uh, of course they... They have a very limited amount of their belongings and uh, don't know when they will be able to return, basically. So I think everyone from Grintavik and, and everyone um, associated with all this are just taking like one step or like one day at a time, basically now. It's what you can do, really. Most of us do want to be as far away as possible when things begin to shake. But to understand what might happen and when, scientists have to go to active volcanoes to take their measurements. It assails all of your senses at once. You're, of course, seeing a spectacle, the the gases uh, perhaps roiling out of a, a boiling lava lake at the bottom of the crater. But there's also a lot of sounds Um, small detonations, larger cracks like rifles going off, sometimes a roar like a jet engine. And then you're you're smelling the gases and they're stinging your eyes at the back of your throat. And maybe even you feel the seismic vibrations through your feet. So it's it's very, very raw, very visceral and, and very exciting. Clive Oppenheimer is a professor of volcanology, filmmaker and author of Mountains of Fire, The Secret Lives of Volcanoes. He spent his career visiting the world's active volcanoes, where even when things are relatively safe, they're not exactly calm. So I I worked many years at Mount Erebus in in Antarctica, which uh, has a permanent lava lake. It exploded from time to time. Very large bubbles of gas uh, would rupture the uh, lake and the skin of the bubbles became these bombs, molten lava bombs flying out and and they would sometimes come over the edge of the crater. Uh, The chances of being hit were extremely low, but it doesn't mean it doesn't uh, give you a bit of an adrenaline adrenaline rush when you'd hear one of these explosions. 
Clive wasn't dodging molten lava bombs for fun. To understand whether an eruption could occur and put other people's lives at risk, it's critical to get a range of measurements to decipher what's going on below. So we're looking for the signs at the surface that are manifestations of things that might be going on several kilometres below ground. Seismology is arguably the most important technique. This will involve deploying a number of sensitive seismometers around the volcano that pick up the the vibrations of often very small earthquakes that wouldn't be felt by a person living nearby. And these earthquakes are generated because if the molten rock is heading up towards the surface, it's got to crack apart the rock of the Earth's crust. And so they can be picked up, they can be triangulated, the, the location of the earthquakes can be calculated. And so you can actually, in some cases, even see the magma migrating upwards uh, slowly towards the surface. The magma, as it rises, might also cause surface displacement. So there might be uplift of the ground as the magma is pushing up the surface. And that can be detected by GPS instruments. It can also be detected from space using radar satellites. And then the third method is is measuring gas emissions Uh, So a few percent of molten rock is made up of dissolved gases, carbon dioxide, water vapor, sulfur, chlorine, fluorine. And those will start bubbling out of the magma, potentially many kilometers below the surface, and they can leak out and arrive out of gas vents at the surface, uh, which we can measure with different kinds of sensors. And uh, we think of them as messengers from the magma, that the chemistry of them will tell us perhaps how deep down the molten rock is. But you know, it still comes down to when you're trying to protect people from volcanic threat, it comes down to really having to deal with still the uncertainties. But how are scientists trying to bring down that uncertainty? What are some of the, the new methods that are being developed that can help us better understand if an eruption could be imminent. There's a lot of interest in using drones to fly sensors into volcanic clouds that you wouldn't want to go near with a piloted aircraft or uh, to access areas that you wouldn't want to go to on foot. There's more use of machine learning to process the huge data sets that we collect. Um, But there's a whole other side to it, which is actually just understanding the the history of a volcano, and that's good old-fashioned geology, bashing rocks off an outcrop, uh, taking them back to the lab, dating past eruptions so we know how frequently a volcano might might have been active in the past, and building a picture from what the volcano has done in the past to what it might do in the future. And we can now look at the really the, the nanoscale of tiny little inclusions inside a crystal, inside a piece of pumice, using a synchrotron radiation facility. These are these these big uh, sort of particle accelerators. And at the moment, you know, there's activity in Iceland, there's activity in Mexico, in Italy. And perhaps this is because we're better at monitoring or we're just fascinated with volcanoes, but there have been kind of myths online or people suggesting that there seems to be more volcanic activity than normal. And I'd kind of like to to bust that myth. I mean, this is a normal amount of activity, right? Absolutely, yes. There, there are around 70 
volcanic eruptions a year on, on land. There's a lot of eruptions in the deep seabed that we don't detect. This is a reporting bias. So of course, if one volcano is in the news, then if another one fires up somewhere else, there's a much greater likelihood that that will be newsworthy because everyone, we're talking about volcanoes. We, we have a catalog of volcanic eruptions for the last 10,000 years. It's, it's very, very incomplete. And if you look at uh, how many eruptions per year there were and you plot it on a graph, you see it just goes up, up, up and up and up and over time. And this is just, it's just the, the, the result of, of reporting becoming more extensive. And you can even see, if you look at the 20th century, you can see that there, if you, if you just took it at face value, you'd think that there were less eruptions during World War I and World War II, which wasn't the case at all, but there were you know, better things to be reporting on and taking note of and documenting at that time. Uh, that, that's what's going on at the moment. And Clive, you know, what's happened in Iceland has kind of caught everyone's eye. And there is something about volcanoes that really makes them intriguing, I think, for us. What do you think it is about them that we're drawn to? You know, I, I always remember I've got a friend who is, um, she's a weather forecaster in Iceland at the Icelandic Met Office. I always remember her telling me there was an eruption, I think, of Hekla, and they put out an aviation hazard warning. And instead of kind of steering around, the planes were coming in so the pilot could have a look at the, the spectacle of this ash, <laughs> ash cloud. So there, there is something very exciting about just the raw energy, the raw spectacle of a volcanic eruption. And, and there's something, particularly the, when you see the, the lava, and it's so dynamic and shape-shifting. It's like looking into the embers of a fire, which is also captivating. Or uh, for me, it's you know, like looking at a stained glass window and the light's really pouring through it. It's just something that really, really gets you. And uh, it's hard to to draw yourself away from. And uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, just this multi-sensory experience as well. If the gases that are assailing you don't make make you flee, <laughs> it's, it's very captivating to, to watch this primeval force of, of nature, force of the earth at work. I'm quite a nerd, so I like the science behind all of this, but it's a mixed feeling of understanding them and admiring them. You, you, As a volcanologist, you always want an eruption to study, of course, but at the same time, you don't want an eruption because it causes harm in most cases. But uh, yeah, it's just we have to understand this because we want to be one step ahead of nature, try to figure out what's her next move before she does anything uh, that could harm us. <laughs> Helga, it's been so fascinating and I hope that you and everyone in the area stay safe as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks again to Helga Torvadotir and Clive Oppenheimer. If you want to hear more about their work, you can visit Helga's Instagram. She's at geology underscore with underscore Helga. And Clive's book is Mountains of Fire, The Secret Lives of Volcanoes. Before you go, I want to let you know that The Guardian is expanding its home delivery service across the UK, including Manchester, Brighton, Bristol and Edinburgh. And for a limited time, you can get 25% off. So relax, put your feet up and get The Guardian and Observer delivered right to your door. 
To check whether your area is eligible and to subscribe, visit theguardian.com forward slash autumn delivery 23. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by me, Madeline Finley, and Tom Glasser. It was sound designed by Tony Onuchuku, and the executive producer is Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.